and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. of Hebrews in the New Testament, if you will turn with me to a short passage in chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter number 10. Debbie and I counted an honor to be in your presence today. We've enjoyed worshiping with you already and looking forward to what God has for us in His Word. Hebrews 10, I'd like to read verse 12 and verse 13, just those couple verses. Paul writes, but this man, notice his terminology there, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor and respect to the Word of God. I don't know y'all and you don't know me. You don't know us. But we do have, I'll take an amen here, we do have a friend in common. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who saved us. The one who meets our every need. And as Paul begins in this little two-verse couplet, the subject is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, if God give me the strength today, I want to try to preach about our Lord. Seems like, I told Deb, it seemed like every song you sang was about Jesus, what he's done for us. And uh, sort of got in my heart and got the stirring in my soul. I have read from the book of Hebrews. There is a unique fact about Paul's epistles in the New Testament. We generally say he wrote 14. That includes the book of Hebrews. There's some debate about that, but it's certainly Pauline in nature. Here's the unique fact about a Pauline epistle. It always carries the name of the addressee. Invariably, that is the case. There are no exceptions in the New Testament. Now, if Peter wrote a book in the New Testament, it does not carry the name of those to whom he's writing, it carries the author's name, First Peter, Second Peter. What if James wrote a book? It carries the name again of the author, the epistle of James. What about Jude? What about John? Carries the writer's name. Not so with Paul. The epistle to the Romans, guess what? Paul wrote it. It carries the name of the Christians in the churches of Rome. What about First and Second Corinthians? Don't even have to think about it. Paul is the man who held the pen because he's writing to those little Greek believers over there in the southern city of Corinth. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, in every case, Paul is the writer. I said that to say this. I have read from the book of Hebrews. That's Pauling, preacher. That's the Pauling pattern. God the Holy Ghost used Paul to write those words and he's writing to whom? To a bunch of Jews. To the Hebrews. And I've got some good news this morning. God saves Jews. Aren't you glad for that? 
And there are a group of born again Jewish believers in Jesus been saved by the grace of God and Paul writes these 13 chapters, Hebrews, he writes to encourage them in their faith. You see, after some of the Jews got saved, they faced a very difficult time as they followed and obeyed our Savior. Your pastor knows this and has taught you. Judaism in the Roman Empire fared relatively well. The Romans accepted Judaism as one of their many religions. And there was room in the pantheon, in the umbrella, but when this Christianity came, when this new way, when this crowd came that believed that Jesus was the Son of God and Jews got saved, they began to face some persecution and some hardship and some suffering for their newfound faith in Jesus. And some of these saved Jews, having walked with the Lord for a while, preacher, they got discouraged. Some of them began to wonder if they'd made the right decision. And some of them, that's why Paul said, don't let these things slip. Hebrews, some of them had begun to turn from the Lord and go back to Moses and go back to the law and go back to the old way. Ladies and gentlemen, get this. Paul wrote the book of Hebrews to say to those saved Jews, I'll need an amen here, keep your eye on Jesus. Don't turn, don't veer. Keep faithfully serving the one who saved you by his marvelous. Paul wrote about Jesus in the book of Hebrews, exalting him as the only, the only solution, the only Savior, the only Redeemer. So we can make this statement. Hebrews is consequently one of the most Christ centered books in all the New Testament. I said all that to say this. Two verses are read. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So the question obviously is going to be, who is this man? Who is the one who offered one sacrifice? Who is it that's sitting at the Father's right hand? Who is it that's coming back again to make his enemies say, Here's what I'm thinking. Since all of the book of Hebrews is about Jesus, and since my two verses are in the book of Hebrews, I'm pretty sure I can identify this man. You can help me now. This man is the Son of God. This man is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to study about Jesus a little while as we open our Bibles together today. Are y'all all right with that? The key word, and this is no doubt about it, the key word in the book of Hebrews is the little, it's the word better. B-E-T-T-E-R, better. I, I can use a concordance. I use my software. And uh, it says 13 times in Hebrews we find the word better. Yeah. Well, 13 chapters. That's the average of once a chapter. What is it in Hebrews that is so much better? What in the world is Paul emphasizing that's better, 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 better again and again? I'll answer it if you'll holler amen. Jesus is better. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than what? Jesus is better than who? And there's the outline of Hebrews. See if you'll agree. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the angels. I'll just put it in country language. Jesus is better than anybody. Maybe that to some degree at least sets the stage, sets the lays the foundation for today's text, Hebrews 10, 12 and 13. And you have done so. Please keep your Bibles open because everything I say, Lord willing, is going to be linked 
It'll be keyed on a clause in this little two-verse text. Let's begin. But this man, but this man, I have the privilege Preacher today standing in your pulpit, it is an honor. I have the opportunity today to talk to you for our time together about this man. This Everything I'm going to say centers on this man. Well, Brother Bagwell, uh, who is this man? And that's why I gave the introduction. This man, no doubt, is the Lord Jesus. But, but I, will, I hold in my hands this morning a King James Bible. And as I read those two words, this man, this man, King James, he was King James VI uh, in Scotland, King James I when he became the king in England, he authorized, he, he commissioned the translating of the Bible into English. We, we call it our King James Version. He had, he had six teams of men. Uh, half of them worked in Hebrew, the Old Testament. The other half worked in Greek, gives us our King James and New Testament. Those men that worked in the Greek used a version, used a Greek text called the Textus Receptus. The Textus Receptus. I'm leading up to something. This man, this man, in the Textus Receptus, the Greek word our King James translators had with which to work is this. Listen to it. It's... This man in English, but in Greek, it's autos. A-U-T-O-S. Autos. How can autos end up being in the Bible? I'm holding in my lap this man. And, and, and that would take some explaining, and we don't have to do it. Autos in Greek gives us this word in English. Please get it. Automatic. Automatic. Our clothes washers now are automatic. Transmissions in our cars are automatic. So what in the world does it mean? Altos, altos. Here's what it means. I'll take a smile. It can do it itself. Keep your hands off of it. Just cut it loose and let it go. It will get the job done. Could I make an announcement? This man, the subject of this text is God's autos. He's God's automaton. He's the one, thank God, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to victory in the Christian life, when it he can do it for himself. Hallelujah. Jesus alone can say. This man is literally grammatically the word automatic. How can I explain that? Just play along with me if you will. Brother Bagwell, how does a man get saved? How does a lady get born again? Let me give you God's autos. Let me give you God's automatic answer. The only way to get saved is Jesus. Well, Brother Bagwell, how can you get your prayers answered? I have a need and I'm wondering how I can beseech. Let me give you God's autos. Let me give you God's automatic answer in getting you, uh, in getting you prayers. The answer is Jesus. In Jesus' name, we're to pray. How can I get victory over the devil? How can I conquer worry and fear and fret? Here's God's automatic answer and it's still Jesus. This man, this man, we're going to talk a little while about the darling Son of God. Amen. Are y'all all right? But this man, look what it says. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Hey, y'all. I can say y'all in Knoxville. <laughs> Debbie and I, when we leave here in the morning, we're driving to a meeting in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Folks here from Michigan. And uh, when you get up there, you don't say y'all. Uh, it won't translate like you want it to. But down here, while I still can, I'm going to say y'all. I want you to notice how this text automatically divides into three sections. And please get this. 
It tells me something Jesus did in the past. Then immediately it tells me something Jesus is doing right now. Then I'll declare it tells me something Jesus is going to do in the future. Isn't that amazing? Past, present, and future. Can I just say this? Thank God He's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, briefly, we're going to look. What did He do in the past? What is the crowning achievement of our Lord Jesus Christ? And I read it twice. After He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. See if you all agree. Sounds like Calvary to me. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Now preacher, this gets a little bit doctrinal, but your people will have no trouble handling it whatsoever. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. I want to dissect that. I want to talk about it a little bit at a time. Greatest moment in history. The greatest thing ever accomplished was 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem on an old rugged hill where a cross had been erected and the Son of God was now. I want to talk about Calvary this morning. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. I'd like to define the word sins if I could. There's not a lot said about sin anymore. Seems like we neglect it and we overlook it and we deny the very fact of its existence. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. What is the word? And I don't think the preacher will mind if I... Maybe this is a little too teachy, but I'll get right back to my... The word for sins, listen to it. Is harmatia. Harmatia. That would be the word the Holy Ghost had Paul write down. What does it mean? It comes from a verb that means this. To miss out. To miss out. Well then by bare grammatical definition, sin is something. See if you go, this takes a little leap of logic. Sin is something that'll cause me to miss out on something God planned for me to have. Are we all okay so far? Well, preacher, I'd like to know what it is God intended me to have and rebellion and unbelief could knock me out of it. I'll just go ahead and tell you. God died so you could get saved. May I say that one more time? God died on Calvary. Jesus died on the cross so we could be born again. I want to wade a little further into that. I'm reading the man of God and I'm trying to look across the congregation and yet I'm determined to preach my text. You looking at a preacher that believes Jesus Christ died for everybody. Would you have ever dreamed you'd have to say that and clarify that in, in, in churches in the south? But oh, he died for, I'm glad I can stand here today. I look over this congregation from front to back, right to left, and I don't have to wonder. Listen, there's somebody here he didn't die for. Listen, there's somebody here that couldn't be saved. Jim, he's the propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. He died for everybody. Wait a minute, Brother Bible. If Jesus died for everybody, what in the world does that mean? Now, here we go. It means everybody that ever has lived, everybody that's alive right now, everybody that will live. Should the Holy Ghost of God speak should the Holy Ghost of God nudge their hearts, hope I get an amen, they could be born again. Because Jesus died for their redemption. And what does sin do? 
to miss out. If I die rebelling and rejecting and disbelieving an Almighty God, that sin will cost me. That's, I'll just put it there. That sin will put me in hell. I'll miss out on the salvation God provided for me to enjoy. Are y'all all right with that? I ask another. He offered one sacrifice for our miserable, low-down, rotten sins. So I wouldn't have to go to hell. I could be born again and go to glory forevermore. He offered one sacrifice for sins. One sacrifice for sins. How many of y'all believe Jesus is the sacrifice? Listen to the noun. Thusia. That's the word sacrifice. Thusia. And preacher, it does not merely mean death. It has a specific death in mind. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. The word thusia means death by torture. Violent death. Painful death. Excruciating death. Preacher, the death, when they sacrificed little lambs throughout the Old Testament, they took that innocent little lamb, the priest inspected that little lamb, they lifted, they qualified, they lifted that little lamb up, that lamb's a sacrifice, they'd slit his throat. But a lamb does not die instantly when his throat is slit. Oh no, his heart continues to beat and with that carotid artery slit, every time his heart beat, a geyser of blood issues forth. Every time, and he gets weaker by the mo- blood, gasping for breath. The little lamb goes into convulsion. It is a violent, excruciating, painful death. That little lamb died thousands and thousands of times. Hope I get an amen. It's a picture of Jesus, our sacrifice. When Jesus died on the old rugged cross, they didn't shoot him like in a firing squad. They didn't hang him in an oak tree. He'd been dead in a few seconds for six grueling hours. He became our sacrifice. He died an excruciatingly painful death. A little help that we might be saved. He offered a sacrifice for our sins. Are y'all still all right? Well, see, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, I don't talk about the verb offered. And by now, somebody's going to say, goodness, is he going to talk about every word in these two verses? To which I answer, I might. Don't know how the time will go, but I might if God will give me the strength and the time. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. You'd think that wouldn't be necessary. We've seen him die. We've seen his excruciating death. We know why he died. For my sins that would send me to hell if I died in that state of ungodliness. But the Holy Ghost says you better tell him he offered. One sacrifice for sins. Here's another reason I'm glad we're still in the South this morning. That word offered, listen to it. Prospero. Exact root word Paul would have written. Prospero. What does it mean? Some of y'all going to have to help me figure this out now. Pros, the prefix, it's a preposition. It means face to face. Just like I should go over here and look at the past face to face. Whatever Jesus did on Calvary, it involves a face to face confrontation with something or somebody. Prospero. He offered when sacrifice for sin. Pharaoh, P-H-E-R-O is the verb, and this is what it means. And here I can tell how country you are. It means to tote something. <laughs> to tote it. To carry it, to transport it, 
And if I can use this flower and I'll put it back, it implies on the cross when Jesus shed His blood. Thereafter, He took something. He picked it up. He toted it. He carried it. Implies He carried it quite a distance. And He put it down face to face in front of somebody mighty big. Now, I think I might need to explain that. Y'all looking at the flower more than me. I'm going to set that down. I'd like to know what he towed it. I'd like to know what he carried. And I'd like to know where he took it. And I'd like to know who this mighty important person is that he met face to face. They're on the other end of the journey. Now, Pastor, this is about as old-fashioned as preaching gets. Had a young preacher tell me not long ago he'd never heard it in all of his ministry. But here's what I'm pretty sure is going on when he offered one sacrifice for sin. Let me lay a foundation here. I don't think Jesus had human blood, tainted blood flowing through his veins. Well, Brother Bagwell, and, and liberal scholarship today says this about the blood of Jesus. They say if he lived and if he died, his blood oozed out of his body, rolled down the cross, seeped into the ground, and decomposed. It went the way of the earth. It, it, it broke down into its natural constituent. I just want to say three words. No, it didn't. Amen. Could I say it again? No, it didn't. I promise you this morning on the authority of the Word of God, Jesus' blood did not rot. I say Jesus' blood did not rot, and here's why. We are not redeemed with rotting, corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. I'd like to announce the blood of Jesus is somewhere today. It did not decompose. It did not... De well, Preacher Bagwell, where in the world do you think it is? I think he toted it somewhere. I think he transported it. I believe as I... Are y'all with me this morning? I believe as I great high priest, our Savior took his own blood. I believe he carried it to glory. I believe he met his Father face to face. I'll take your name in. And he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. He offered. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. That's what it did in the past on our behalf. Hadn't we got a wonderful Savior this day? One sacrifice? The word that is used there, preacher, means one and one only. One sacrifice for sins forever. Brother Keith, every sunrise in the history of the Jewish nation they sacrificed a lamb. They called it the morning sacrifice. The blood of that lamb in God's eyes made atonement for the nation for that day. When the sun set that night, they got another lamb and they slew it. And its blood made atonement for the nation all night long. Next morning, there's another lamb. Next night, there's another 14 a week. 60 a month, 700 plus a year, untold thousands of lambs because that little lamb could only atone for a half a day period of time. And you mean that preacher from Georgia standing up here telling me he believes there's somebody big enough and important enough and significant enough they could offer one sacrifice and it would do forevermore. I'll say this, that must be some more blood right there. That must be some more Savior that is being described. Thank God I got a Savior. His name is Jesus. He died on Calvary and that death will do for all of eternity. He offered one sacrifice for our miserable sins forevermore. 
What a Savior. What a Savior for the Lord. And I shouldn't stick this in. I'm going to get in time trouble. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Forever. I just want to make an announcement. If you're washed in the blood this morning, I'm pretty sure you're safe forever. I'm pretty sure we're secure today because of the efficacy, the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus. He'll never come back and die again. Give me an amen right there. Thank God we're secure in our Savior. What Jesus did in the past. Isn't it amazing? Preacher, that is mostly in monosyllable form what our Savior accomplished. 2000. If you're washed in the blood today, you're in pretty good shape. And as great as that is, and as wonderful as that is, and as all-inclusive as that is, I just want to tell you, Jesus didn't go to heaven and retire. He's doing something right now on our behalf. Well, I'd like to know what it is. Well, Brother Bagwell can't tell you. But our text can. Amen. Would you look back at it again, please? This man, God's altos, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, what did he do? Sat down. He sat down on the right hand of God. Let me see, y'all. I got a sense there's some folks in here that know their Bibles and love their Bibles. He sat down on the right hand of God. See if anybody agrees. As far as I know, He's still sitting there. I say as far as I know, he's still sitting there today. He sat down at the right hand of God. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus walked out to the Mount of Olives, lifted his hands, blessed his disciples, and began to gravitate, began to rise into the air higher and higher and higher. A cloud received him out of their sight. Where's he going? He's going back to glory. To sit at his father. He sat at the right hand of an almighty God. I just want to give a few thoughts about that right now. We we emphasize and we should oh we cannot overemphasize what he did in the past. But what he's doing right now is pretty important also. He sat down at the right hand of God. Notice his posture. He sat down. He sat down. If we're not careful, that implies Jesus went to heaven, shooed all the angels away and cleared out the elders and said, get out of the way, I'm coming and I'm going to sit down. But Psalm 110 verse 1 sets it in a clearer context. When he got home, he didn't take over nothing. His father said, Son, sit at my right hand till I make you in. He's there because he deserves it. I'm going to need an amen. And he's there by special invitation of God the Father. Sit at the Father's right hand. Notice, this is so unusual. Our high priest Jesus is sitting down at his father's right hand. That's so unusual. A, a good amen here will save me 10 minutes of preaching. <laughs> and so I'm just going to ask you and see if you got to. Jesus is our great high priest. Amen. He is right now our great high priest. And by the way, that's the best amen of the morning right there. Probably means you're hungry. I don't know what it means. Sitting down, hear me. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you find an on-duty priest sitting down. Priests are not allowed to sit down when they're on the job. There's not even a place for him to sit in the tabernacle. 
can't find one verse by verse in the temple. No, amen. No, why can't they sit down? So in the 134th Psalm, looks like those priests worked into the night shift. All hours of the night. Priests aren't, they can't sit down in the Old Testament. Why not? Hear me. There's always more blood to be shed. There's always more sin to be atoned. There's always another old sinner Jew that must be attended to. Those priests couldn't sit down. Well, wait a minute, Brother Bagel. You're just about to haul off and tell me that the first thing my high priest did when he got to heaven was to sit down up there. He sat down at the right hand of God. What in the world does that mean? Now, if you'll help me, I'll tell you real quick. I reckon it means there's no more blood to be shed. I reckon it means that Jesus took care of all of it when he was down here in the first place. He's sitting down because he paid it all for us. He sat down at the right hand of God. Preacher, I, I, I should have asked you before, am I okay on time? He said, preach until you're done. But all I heard at first is, you're done. <laughs> and I thought, man, I better run that back by again. <laughs> Sit down at the right hand of God. Why is he sitting at the right hand of God? Why is he situated there? In the Old Testament, invariably this is true, the right side, the right hand of God, that's the side of power and might. That's the side that emphasizes his great omni. I'll say this if you'll smile. I think God's right-handed. <laughs> Always to ask God. And I don't mean that other than to get a smile on your face. God's ambidextrous. He's almighty on either side. But he put Jesus at his right hand. Anything God will ever do. Anything of might. Anything of power. Anything of significance, Jimmy, he'll do it through Jesus, his son. He's at the right hand of God. If I had more time, I'd try to prove to you Jesus is the right hand of God. He's his right hand. Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who hath, re who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Jesus is the arm of the Lord. Sit down on the right hand of God. Well, Brother Bagwell, I'd like to know what he's doing on the right hand of God. And quickly, and I do mean this, committed to brevity, now, I'm going to show you two things he's doing at the right hand of God. Number one, he is serving as our lawyer. Hear me. He is serving, I'm going to give you the King James word, he is serving as our advocate right now at God's right hand. Why would I need a paracleta? Why would I need an advocate? Why in the world would I need somebody to defend me in glory? I want every child of God to listen to me. So I think this is a helpful word picture. In Revelation 12, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. I'm secure. But though I'm saved, I still mess up. I still fall into the mud puddle of sin every now and then. And you know what the devil does when I sin? He charges out and tells Almighty God on me. He runs me down. He accuses me. He drags me through the mud. And the sad thing, the devil's right about half the time. I'm so fa I fail my heavenly Father so much. Here I am down here. I've sinned. I've done wrong. My mouth got. I got angry. I got. And the devil's accusing me before God the Father. It's a courtroom scene. It's a forensic situation. And if the devil's accusing me of wrongdoing and he's right, I'm in trouble. The justice bar of Almighty God. I hope you'll smile. I need me an attorney up there. 
I need a lawyer up here. I need an advocate who'll represent me at the Father's right. Could I just make an announcement? I got me one. If you're saved, you know him too. He's the Son of God. This will resonate with somebody. He's on retainer today. Hallelujah. Devil's trying to do me harm. Devil's trying to make me look bad. Now, well, I don't have time to develop it, so I'm just going to say this. The lawyer I got, he's the judge's son. <laughs> Did y'all hear me? My lawyer's the judge's son. I am not implying by that anything that would not be proper, but it don't hurt if your lawyer's the judge's son. And I'll tell you something else about my lawyer. He's never lost a case yet. He's never going to lose one now. We're in good hands called Chase at the Father's right. He's my lawyer. He's my second thing, and we'll get off this point and finish up. He's not only my lawyer, see if you'll agree, he's a praying for me. Hebrews 7 25 says he ever liveth to make intercession. For you and me. He's a praying for us today. You say, well, preacher, what in the world? He's a praying for us. Perfect example, Luke 23, 32. Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Could I make an announcement? The devil would like to sift all of us this morning. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Let me tell y'all why you're in church today. It's not because you just set the alarm clock and got up early. It's just not because you got a lot of gumption. We're here today because he prayed we'd be faithful. Hallelujah. You're still serving God because he prayed you'd stay true in these last days. You ever liveth to make intercession for us. Does that make any sense to you? One more little thought. We'll use the songbook. Y'all follow me if you will. Make intercession. I'm going to define and then I'm going to close this sermon. Go to the third point and quickly. Maketh intercession. This definition is sufficient both in English and in Greek. Please get it. Watch the songbook. And I know you're wondering, what is that preacher doing? Perfect illustration of make intercession. Well, would you add a little to it? He ever liveth to make intercession means this. The Greek lexicon, Webster's Dictionary will prove it. It means that, and I'm going to say it and then I'm going to watch it. To drop in on. I got to do that again. <laughs> to drop in on. Is there anybody in this building today and it's your lowest moment? At the time you were more discouraged than maybe ever in your life. Somewhere from the right hand of God. Somebody engaged on your behalf in prayer and before you realized it, he had, I'll need a good amen, he had dropped in on you. He had come and he didn't roll down the steps neither. He dropped in on you. He came where you were. He met your needs. Help me. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What did he do in the past? He died. He offered himself sacrifice for sins forever. What's he doing right now? He's sitting at the Father's right hand, representing me, defending me, and praying for me. Y'all ready to finish up? They're scared to say amen. Y'all ready to finish up? You're so kind. Either that or you said amen till you're wore out. I don't know what it is. Last of verse 13. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool.
Let me tell you what he's got planned in the future. You just amen if you want to. I think he's coming back again. Well, I'd like to know what he's going to do when he comes back. From henceforth means for the rest. This is the end of the stuff. From henceforth expecting. Preacher, look it up. That verb expecting is just a participle in English, but the verb expecting means it's something Jesus is holding on to. It's something he's looking forward to. It's something he can't get off his mind. Something he's got to have so bad he can taste it. Oh, he's glad he died on Calvary. He's glad he's interceding, but he said there's something else I got to do, and I'm not going to quit till I get her done. Hallelujah. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. The word enemy, listen to it. It has enclosed in it, even in English, the word enmity. It means hatred. There's some people that hate Jesus. There's some people that hate God's word. There's some people that hate your preacher because he preaches the blood of Jesus. There's some people hate this church because of everything you stand for doctrinally about our Savior. Till his enemies, till the crowd that hates him, be made his footstool. The Textus Receptus there literally says, till Jesus puts them, and I'll need a smile here, till Jesus puts them under his feet. Anybody believe in a Savior like that? Anybody believe we're on the winning side today? Anybody believe he's the champion? He's the victor? Thank God he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Till his enemies be made. His footstool. He's coming back. And when he does, preacher, honestly, I'm trying to quit. I've just got all kinds of liberty here today. When he comes back, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. He'll make his enemies his footstep. I love to think about it. If there is a doctrine in contemporary scholarship that's under attack, it's the second coming of Jesus. They are mocking and denying the rapture as never before. A plethora of books have recently been written denying the factuality of the rapture of the church. That's what I'm making an announcement. He's still coming to get us. Debbie and I, as we travel, I love books. I love libraries. I enjoy studying. We'll go through a city somewhere. We were recently on our way to a distant state. Went by a seminary. And uh, all the treasure trove of books we enjoyed. But truth be told, a lot of our seminaries are turning their backs on the fundamentals of our faith. They're denying that Jesus is coming again. Recently, and this person is a professor, wrote a book mocking the fact of the second coming of... This is what the book... This is what the book's entitled. You can look it up. You can, you can Google it. You can Amazon. Left behind and glad of it. Left behind and glad of it. Jesus is coming back and His enemies will be made His footstep. Anybody here believe in the rapture? Preacher, I... Don't know if I will be. It's the desire of my heart. I'd love to be alive when the Lord comes to get us. And actually, this is sort of, I don't know how good this is, but it's down in my soul. I sort of hope I'm near one of them liberal seminaries. <laughs> when the Lord comes. Hope me and Deb are riding up the road somewhere by one of them outfits. And if I am on the way up, I'm going to look at them boys and I'm going to go. <laughs> I know a moment and a twinkling of an eye are rather rapid. But I'd like to make an announcement. 
He will make his enemies his footstool one of these days. Aren't you glad we're on the winning side? What he did in the past, it died on Calvary. What he's doing right now, he's defending and interceding for us. What he's going to do in the future, good amen and I'm through, he'll make it all right when he comes back again. What a Savior. Stand with us. We'll bow our heads. Close our eyes. Pastor, you come, song leader, as you normally give the invitation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Even before the first note is played, there's somebody here who wants to come and kneel a minute. Thank the Lord for saving you. Thank the Lord for being such a great intercessor. Maybe somebody needs to come and give yourself freshly in renewed dedication to the Lord. You do what He leads you to do as they softly play. We're going to sing in just a few seconds. But as they softly play, the invitation this morning. That's right. You respond as He leads, if He leads. Might have a lost loved one today. And while any time is appropriate, oh, what a moment it might be to pray for them. Lord, You died for them. Oh, God, I beg You save them. Bring them to the place of trusting Thee. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to pray that last prayer of the New Testament. Even so come, Lord Jesus. What He did in the past, doing right now, and is going to do in the future. Brother, what's the number we're going to sing? It's 392 and they all heard. Let's sing it, verse 1 together. Pastor, you come, if you will, please. Help us sing it. You obey as He promised.